0: Netflix's One Day at a Time reimagines the classic Norman Lear comedy with a middle-class Latino family. There's still a single mom and two kids, though one of them's a boy this time. There's still a Schneider, though this one is a clueless metrosexual and recovering alcoholic instead of a lech. And in this version, there's a Cuban grandmother played like a Latin fireball by Rita Moreno. Season 2 premieres January 26th, so we wanted to talk to series creators Mike Royce and Gloria Calderon-Kellett a week early as a refresher if you've seen Season 1, and as an introduction if you haven't. This is
1: it. This is life. The one you get to go and have a boy.
0: I interviewed the two of you for Decider uh, about a year ago when season one came out, and I have been wondering ever since then, what is a Bobo?
1: (laughs) Like a dum-dum.
2: I think clown, is there a clown aspect or something?
1: No, I know Bobo is an insult, but it sounds adorable. Like he's a little clown. Oh yes, he is a clown. And like every other clown, I want to punch him in the face.
0: It seems to be used a lot with men, particularly uh, American men. Is it something like gringo? No,
1: no. Anybody can. Any male can be a bobo. If you're a woman, you'd be a boba.
0: You have a lot of bobos on the show, it seems like. We do. <laughs> As I've been re-watching the show, uh, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is John Hodgman saying specificity is the soul of narrative. What is the specificity uh, on the show? I mean, <clears throat> I think it would
2: first come from Gloria's family. You know, she's writing, these are people, at least many of them, based on uh, very specific people That's <laughs> close to her, in, in, including
0: her.
1: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true.
0: Which character are you? Penelope. Oh, you're Penelope. Okay. Yep.
1: Yep. We are, it's now become, what's really exciting when you write a show and, you know, taking on one day at a time for Mike and I was uh, was obviously daunting because of the Norman Lear pedigree that we had to live up to but then we just, we did get really personal with it and put a lot of our own families into it and infused it with our love for them in their imperfections which lends itself to to comedy and, and we're kind of doing it from a place of uh, of love but yeah, I think that Penelope uh, is, is an amalgam of, of Justina Machado and me and we just morphed together uh, to to be this, the voice of this woman. I'm good. I don't need a date. I was married to Victor for 17 years and I am loving not having a dude around.
2: Excuse me.
0: I guess there's some things I miss.
2: (laughs) I have a package for
0: Penelope Alvarez. (laughs) What, why, why is everybody laughing?
2: That's me.
1: Penelope. That's my name
0: i remember now.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Oh, my God, you saw that, right? You saw that! I still got it! I still got it! Yes! And there are hot men out there with big packages, and you know whose name is on those big packages? Mine. Justina is the is the rock of our show. I mean, she, everything would have fallen apart if we didn't get an actress who has the ability to be as vulnerable and yet funny. And, uh, I mean, she, what she does, she's really, I feel like, one of the best actresses of my generation, Latino or not. She is uh, such an incredible, grounded, honest performer. So when she walked in, Mike and I lost our minds. It was so uh, clear that she just walked in as this character. Uh, It was incredible.
2: Her timing, first of all, she did a funny scene, then she did a a dramatic scene. And uh, her timing, her comedic timing was insane. And uh, (laughs) Like we just laughed so hard, which is, you know, happens in an audition, but not that often. Um, It caught us off guard because it was so perfect, I think. Yeah. Then she did the dramatic scene. And I've never cried during an audition I I was an actor once, and I've cried after auditions. <laughs> but this was like I'm—I have a tear like rolling down my cheek as this woman is performing this thing that we wrote, you know. And you know, never—I mean, listen, that's what we wanted. It was just like amazing to have it happen in the room like that. It was—it her talent is incredible. She came and read also to sort of seal the deal. She came to Norman's house,
0: and that's Norman Lear, who's one of the executive producers on the show.
2: And she read with me so i'm reading i think the part of i guess rita moreno's part at that point with her just like
1: almost (laughs) got the part but we decided yeah to go with rita
2: and uh i still bear a tiny bit of resentment but um (laughs) but yeah so she i mean and then once again she just she just is she gets in i i don't i i'm terrible at describing actor uh Saying actor terminology, but she's just in the moment. Like immediately, she just from moment to moment, it's everything so truthful. And and you know, we put a lot of emotional stuff into our show, and she just hits it out of the park every time.
1: We get excited every time, and we get excited mm-hmm. to hear her do her thing to it because it's always just next level. So
0: Gloria, you said earlier this week uh, on Twitter on a show that you have in development on Twitter, you were watching casting and wish you could say, "I love you," but you're not great for this part. Or other times. I love you and we'd like to offer you this part right yes. now. How does that happen in the room? What's the Do you just have to keep a folk poker face and not say anything?
1: No, I always I if I'm laughing, I'm really laughing. And I'm, I'm not, you know, I I try to be as present. I mean, look, I've been I've been an actor. I've been in auditions where people are looking at their phone during an audition or giving you nothing during an audition. And these are human people coming mm-hmm. in who have taken time off of work and spent all night <laughs> memorizing your sides and gotten somebody to babysit. And, you know, it is really a uh, a commitment when someone comes in to audition for you. So I like to give them the respect of being completely present for them uh, and, and listening to them and seeing what they have to offer. And sometimes somebody will do something awesome and get me a great laugh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they are the role. And then of course, many people don't know, we obviously have a big, pull in terms of casting but we are not the final say mike and i can't just say it's yours you know <laughs> right, right. like when justina left the room we turned to norman and we were like right you know and <laughs> but we still had to go to norman and then we had to go to sony and then we had to go to netflix there's so many people um involved in making these casting decisions and and luckily you know we, we got all the people that we wanted but uh, that doesn't always happen
2: yeah you certainly don't want to be like you got the part and then yeah. Five minutes later, I, you know, I can't actually sign off on that. <laughs> I need to. But, uh, you know,
0: I wondered when I saw you say that, if it was more that you can't get who you want sometimes, even if they audition because negotiations or scheduling or whatever. But that sounds like less of an issue than the the sort of other people, Netflix and Sony, who have to be involved in those decisions.
1: I mean it's everything really. Sometimes you can't get the people to come in. I mean, I I I have a particular allergy to offer only. I hate it because I think for them too, uh actors should be able to come in and see if they like me and if we vibe and if I mean in in success you're spending 5 to 7 years together. So I think that everyone should do a work session, all actors, no matter what, even, you know, Meryl Streep and I would sit down. And it's not that she's not talented or that she's not wonderful. It's, is this the right fit? Uh, So with Norman, we were very fortunate because he was just like old school about it. He was like, everybody reads and that's it. Rita was the only one that didn't read. Everyone else read. And I think we benefited from that. I think we got the cast that we got because... It wasn't uh, a lot of these shows that you see on TV are offer only. So people are not reading the sides until it's the first table read. And sometimes they're not right, even though they're brilliant. And so for me, um, I like to see them come in. But then you have people come in who are wonderful, who the moment they start speaking, you're like, oh, my God, you're great. You're not at all what this part is, but you're a very good and skilled performer and i know that in my heart and i want to just say you can stop it's not you you're wonderful I, can we hold each other and weep and then you can be on your way um and we'll do something else some uh, some other time but uh that that's more what i was referring to it's more like when wonderful people come in and are giving you great work and you know leave and you're like i'm so sorry i know you're not the part but you're great
2: long story short Meryl Streep maybe next time maybe next time (laughs) I mean she came very close let's see it was almost me and Meryl Streep (laughs) in this show
0: how did the show come about was it something Norman Lear wanted to do or Sony wanted to do or Netflix or did you write a script who started that project
2: uh, money, money started it. <laughs> um, you know, they Brent Miller, who's enormous uh, producing partner, had the uh, had read a study about the lack of representation, Latino representation, and thought, "How can we do something about this?" Essentially, and realized that uh, one day at a time, that sort of situation, the template might be an interesting, <clears throat> um, uh, I guess, property bring to bring back with a Latino family and. It kind of took off from there.
0: The parallels with the original are the single mom, the two kids, and Schneider. The grandmother was not... And the apartment. The apartment. the apartment. Yeah, the is, apartment. Yeah. The number
2: of the apartment.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and the layout of the apartment, yeah.
0: What yeah. other similarities were you looking at as that you definitely want to do or that you don't think much makes as much sense to do from the original show?
1: The topics. I think the topics, you know, the, the first... Uh, the first the second episode of the first season of the original was also about sexism but it was 1970s sexism and so ours was modern you know what's the sexism of today so like norman did with that show in dealing with real topics that a family deals with we wanted to honor that in this series as well
0: did the schneider character become a non-latino point of view coming into the show is that what Schneider was supposed to be, or did it just work out that Todd Grinnell made the most sense for the for the role?
2: Um, well, I mean, both. Um,
0: I certainly relate to him as the outsider who wants to be in this family. That's that's my entry point into the show. I I good. also relate to him.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's good. That's good.
0: Yeah. And you have his pecs, which yeah. you show off quite a bit. Did you have have take his shirt off during the audition? No,
1: no. We, I mean, I knew what was. I've known Todd for a decade, so I knew what was under there. But he was not hired for his um, phenomenal physique.
2: Oh, okay, yeah, just a bonus. It
1: was bonus. It was a bonus. Uh, no, we we did want. Uh, yes, we did want to weigh in, and uh, there was so much discussion about the Schneider character that was the hardest one to cast because. A lot of people came in and were trying to do a, a version of Pat Harrington, which, of course, you can't do. Um, he did such a, a an iconic job with that role. And so Todd did his own thing with it. And we started to mold it more towards that. And And it seemed like in Echo Park and in Los Angeles and today. And that was sort of the way in was this uh, you know, privileged uh, white guy.
2: And Todd, I remember we had a bit of a turning point in a way because we also had we had to find the new Schneider through the writing so there were a bunch of iterations he started off I don't know cruder we always knew it had to turn away a little bit from um
1: guy uh, hitting on guy hitting on her right
2: but even so we sort of pictured him a little bit of an ugly American you know a blowhard and Schneider's Schneider's not really a blowhard anymore he's more I don't know clueless clueless, about things fatalistically self-aware because he's like not self-aware but he tries to be Mm self-aware um but Todd read, and we had, we had a version that was getting closer and he, and in terms of the privilege. Yes. And he was, after we just kind of talked about it with Norman a little bit, he was like, I know like 10 of these guys. Like, I went to school with them. Yes. And he had a cup. He's said, like, this is a guy who is always writing a book about himself. That's what he said. And that really stuck with us. Like, yes. That is exactly right. <laughs> That's what Snyder's doing. Who is it? It's Penelope. Open up. One in the morning, eh? Okay. Either something
0: happened in your apartment or something's about to happen in mine. (laughs) (laughs) Ech. You'd be surprised how many of my hookups started with ech. How did Rita Moreno get involved in the show?
1: Uh, Growing up, I literally made the joke for so much of my life that if I ever wrote about my mother, it would be played by Rita Moreno because that's the first time I saw myself really represented on TV and saw somebody that looked like somebody in my family was when I watched West Side Story on you know, when it, when they aired it on TV, I was like, Oh my God, what? These people, right? What's happening? <laughs> um, and my mom and her resemble each other. They're both sort of these tiny, uh, powerful ladies. And so I just brought that up with Norman and he literally said, Oh, I know Rita. I've been wanting to work with her. And I said, Of course you do. <laughs> Let's call her. Oh, yeah. Okay. You just have Rita Marie. Oh, you do. Okay. And we're calling Rita. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so.
0: As I was re watching the very first episode, I made a list of the non funny things that you introduce in that episode. <laughs> and here's, you may have some other things to add, but here's what I came up with PTSD, depression, alcoholism, divorce, generational disputes, money problems two kids doing the opposite of what they're told, and a single mom crying because she feels alone. How do you make that funny?
1: I mean, it sounds hilarious That's to amazing. me. It's amazing. a laugh riot. I, know. <laughs> uh, I I think, you know, whenever we talk about the stuff that we want to do, we, we try to start with, the, you know, the truth. And I think especially for um, oftentimes uh, immigrant families deal with, pain by using humor and so there are naturally things that are funny as you start talking about these things in the writer's room you know we'll we have a a really incredible diverse writer's room and when we talk about these things everyone has stories and often even in the saddest story there's there's something humorous so that's it kind of organically comes out that way
2: it's also you know I mean you the laughs are bigger when you care about what's happening so there's so many it's 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 hard to make a um, a show that it, it, I think it's hard to make people care. It's you really have to ground it in something, and that's the part that we worry about. And then the laughs always come because we have very funny people writing on the show, we have very funny people acting on the show. But to find something real and go from there, that that's going to make people care about what's happening to these characters. You know, then it's. I mean, there's no greater laugh than happens after something really emotional, and then the thing that comes in to cut it. Um, So we kind of strive for that.
0: How do the kids on the show identify with the Cuban American aspects of the show? I'm not exactly sure what everybody's background is on the show. Are they Cuban American?
1: Marcel, uh, Marcel's grandfather is Cuban, and Justina's grandmother is Cuban. But Marcel and Justina and Rita are primarily Puerto Rican, and Isabella is Colombian. But, yes, we all have a lot of uh, similarities. You know, there's – there's each cult- culture is obviously very specific, but there is also a lot of commonality with the Latino culture, especially Caribbean culture.
0: Let me ask about multicam tapings. I've seen a few, and they are a really strange animal to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I was curious whether yeah. – I've not seen a taping of your show, and I'm curious whether the taping day follows the usual routine of the writers being on stage and – improv between takes and that sort of thing can you describe what your taping day is like
2: um i have anxiety (laughs) from mike is
1: always really calm
2: (laughs) um yeah it's it's uh it's it's like a play i mean the whole week's like a play there's rehearsals you know run-throughs essentially uh throughout the week and by the time you get to tape night it's we have a run-through in the morning and um yeah, I mean the actors are if I think when you say improv the the Rita Moreno especially uh like to goof around uh, with the audience a little bit yes. in between uh takes. Um we are we we run in lines sometimes.
1: Yes. They don't know. they actually don't the a- actors don't improv. Right. Uh they everything that they say is scripted, but if they have an idea or they want to try something uh we're we're open to that, but but they on on tape night they're saying they're saying the the lines that and we're it's, giving them.
2: Yeah, and it would be like I mean the cameras the, between the cameras being in certain positions, they have to be in certain positions. It's 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 pretty all very calculated. Um, and and the work we do ahead of time on tape day is the writers all come up with alternate jokes for various areas where we can either run it in because maybe something isn't working or just run it in to for amuse fun. ourselves, yeah, <laughs> and amuse the audience.
0: Mike, how can you still get nervous for multicam tapings? Didn't you do like a hundred episodes of Raymond? <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, I didn't get nervous during Raymond because um, I, I wasn't in charge of Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't know why Gloria doesn't get nervous because she's...
1: I love it so much! <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't... It's
2: because it's, I, Jerry Seinfeld used to say this joke that I... This sort of observation about what stand-up comedy was that I can't quite remember. But it was something along the lines of, Every comedian's fear is just that the audience is like you're going to start to do your routine, and the audience just kind of stares at you and goes, "What? What are you? What are you doing? What are you? Why are you saying those words? Are we supposed to do something? Like what? Like where the whole facade of it being entertainment just just falls a- away, and you're just a person saying words in front of other people? That's what happens to me before every taping. I just think the audience is going to go, "Why are we? What's happening? Why are they up there saying those things? What?"
0: Should we, why are we in these seats? I don't, I get very existential. Um, How much are you paying attention to what gets laughs on taping nights? Is that something that surprises you very often?
1: I don't know if it's, I think we have anticipated where we hope they're going to laugh. Yeah. If they don't laugh in those places, then we go, "Uh we got to rewrite quickly, or we've got to come up with some alts, or we've got to think of cutting stuff. Yes. Uh, But we have the places where we're hoping uh, they laugh and
2: there's, there's, two, there's sort of two levels I think where it's you have to perform the show for that audience that's there but the ultimate audience is the audience that's at home and so the audience that's there is, is mainly there to one have a great time and facilitate the performances of the actors because it's like a play so it's like a live the, li- the, the liveness of it is what's important there uh, when you get into the editing room it, you know, we've had shows where the audience was maybe a little colder. That episode turns out to be still hilarious when you get it, you know, through the editing process. Not just because you're cutting stuff out, but because the, as long as the story's being told in an interesting way, you know, some some jokes play better. They don't necessarily play as well live as they might to the audience at home. And that's okay, that's just, it's a little harder to go through uh, in the moment if something is not getting like the giant laugh that you expect to. But the opposite happens too, where sometimes you get a super hot audience and you're like, okay, they're laughing at stuff that like there's no way that hello deserves that laugh. But they're so happy to see everybody yeah. <laughs> sometimes. So it's a balancing act between what the final product is. The, uh, the, the you know, the, the the you can never get too down about a joke that's not working in the moment if you really believe it's a line that that needs to be in
0: the show. The show is a half hour without commercials, so it's about eight minutes more show than the typical multicam. When you were developing that at the beginning, what were the discussions around how to do it? Would it be more scenes or longer scenes or both, or would you do something different for transitions? What was that discussion like? I don't know. You know we I just would kinda... say,
1: yeah, I would say <laughs> normally... You're long. Like normally you you do a show and it's like 29 minutes and you're like, oh man, we got to cut six minutes. So this was a case where we just needed to justify the length. We needed to say we shouldn't be 28 minutes because we can. We should be 28 minutes because we need all those 28 minutes. Right. So how can we use those extra minutes to give us more character or give us – like I think that what we get to keep our texture – And uh, jokes that sometimes you'd have to cut for time that give us a little backstory that you might not otherwise get or fun runners or, you know, you just get a little bit more texture with that time. So we try not to be too greedy with the time and really, you know, sometimes shows are still 25 minutes or, you know. um, That's
2: that's a very, I mean, she's that's exactly right because we never want to sacrifice pace. The pace has to be brisk. And we go in there and we pull air out and, yep. you know, do all kinds of stuff. Mike to make is a sure. wizard. <laughs> um, he
1: literally be like, take two
2: frames off of that. And I'm like,
1: what? How do you know? Oh, it is better. Yeah, that's my. He's amazing.
2: Take two frames off is my way of sounding smart.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it works.
2: <laughs> but that's the thing. Yeah, it it really has to be paced up, no matter how you
0: slice it. It can never be like, oh, we have a half hour, so everything can move more slowly.
2: Yeah, it's not that.
0: No. Between finishing season one and when you started back in the writers' room on season two, how much did the feedback that you got from viewers and and in addition to that, the way the world changed in twenty seventeen, how much of those two things factored into what you wanted to do with season two?
1: I mean, I would say. The things that we wanted to do... I mean, the the issues that Latinos have had in this country have not changed. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we would have done these stories anyway. The thing that was interesting is they suddenly became more meaningful. It suddenly became something that everyone was talking about as opposed to just us. And so there was an excitement to that. There was a, oh, wow, uh, other people are caring about this thing that we have been talking about for a long time. Mm -hmm. So in that way, the world sort of... uh, embraced us because they were talking about it too. And so we, we seemed smarter than we were because we we wanted to have these conversations and it seemed like people were ready to hear these conversations.
0: You've got an episode in season one about workplace sexism where mansplaining and men making more money than women were the two big factors. And that looks a lot different a year from then, uh, today. How do you think about that episode when you look back at it now?
2: Let me handle this, Gloria. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> He's going he's to explain how I feel. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> when
2: I said to Gloria, mm-hmm. we need to take down sexism. Yep, yep. Um, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Mansplain it for us, Mike. I mean, I think, I think a year, you know, when it came out a year ago, it was uh, like, I, I don't know if it has m- more relevance now or not. I, I think obviously people are paying more attention to harassment issues, you know, completely, um, but it
0: was, yeah. I think people were. I think everything in that episode is as valid today as it was a year ago. It's just that the recognition yes. of the problems yes. that are worse now than they were a year ago. You could have gone further. Or the yeah. recognition
1: is the recognition is better. I mean, America Ferrera was just on Stephen Colbert, and she's so articulate in talking about these issues. But one thing that she said that struck me was, you know, we are on the shoulders of women who have been fighting this problem for decades. And so for for us to take any credit is is uh, is not honoring the incredible work that they have done in silence or in small ways that have led us to this moment. So this is a this is an incredible movement uh, that is happening, but it is long time coming. And there have been many people who have taken it on as their life's work. And and are finally getting to see some of the payoff for that. So, it's it's great to be a part of that conversation, and hopefully, will be a seismic shift that is very needed in in representation for for women and people of color, and men as well. There's sexism for for men in, in the workplace, and and uh, and the the disabled, and you know, it, it really it's opening up. Uh, I think doors for these conversations to be had, and I, I certainly feel like 22 year olds. That are starting in the workplace are, are able to defend themselves in a way that maybe they couldn't before.
0: Are you still hearing from people now who have just found the show?
1: Yes. Oh, every day on Twitter, we, we yeah. get people reaching out to us saying we just found your show. And
0: seems like there's been a big surge
2: over the last month of people, I guess, because the press is coming it. out. The trailer came out. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you talking to me. I'm looking forward to getting to season two. It's been great to have you on.
1: Thank you so much. Thank
0: you.